Hello, hello. Welcome to Making a Marketer. I'm Elizabeth Glau, and I'm the product marketing manager for Sciencio. We make event bots, chat bots for events. You can find me on Twitter and other platforms at Elizabeth Glau. And I am Jen Cole, co-founder of Depict Media and community manager for Social Media Examiner. I do social media consultation and strategy development, and you can find me on the socials at, at Jen Cole ICT. On the socials, I like that. And I'm your host, Megan Powers, and I am at Megan Powers on the Twitter and my business is Powers of Marketing. So this is episode nine and we're talking about including exhibiting events, but exhibiting specifically in your marketing strategy. So we have a couple of really good guests today. We have Dana Lynn Menegas. And she is freelance writer and an editor and writer for Corporate Event News. And I'll let her in a sec give a little more detail on herself. I also like to say how I know people. And I met Dana Lynn at the MPI WEC conference. I want to say it was like 2010 or something. Around then. Yeah. And I can't remember what city we were in, but I just remember at that final party, just having a really fun time. And so here we are all these years later. I can't believe it's 2018 and it's February. It's February. That's just madness. Um, and then Terrence Donnelly is vice president of sales for Experience, And he and I met at a tweet up at IMAX. I had, I knew who he was and I think we had like been in same circles, but I, I don't think we ever actually officially met until my former client event collab was hosting a tweet up, which is basically a fancy word for a happy hour where you drink with people you normally only see online. So <laughs> welcome, Terrence. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. So I'm going to let you guys give a little bit more detail on yourselves and kind of what you're up to and where do you live and all that good stuff. Dana Lynn, you want to kick it off? Sure. Well, thank you, Megan. Well, uh, as Megan mentioned, I'm Dana Lynn Menegas. And in addition to being a freelance writer and marketer, and the editor for Corporate Event News, which is the new online news publication for corporate event professionals. And it's the sister publication to TSNN. I have more than 20. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many more than 20 <laughs> years of experience in marketing, specifically in event marketing, product marketing, and general marketing, all of that in the corporate environment. So I've worked for third-party companies managing events, and I've worked for a lot of corporations running our own events and determining the exhibit strategy, which is why I'm here today. Awesome. Um, oh, and I live just outside of San Francisco in the lovely California East Bay. Nice. Another NorCal girl. I'm originally, I mean, I live in San Diego, but I'm always going to be a NorCal girl. I'm originally from Massachusetts, but I think I'm always still going to be a NorCal girl and <laughs> that's awesome terrence what's going on uh, um, again happy to be here terrence donnelly with experient and if you know who we are we're one of the largest media management companies in the country and i focus mainly on the exhibition side of our business serving some of the largest shows in the country and i just love what we're doing and uh, i live up in new hampshire actually so it's a little chilly up here uh, i'd love to be out in california but i've been with experient for a little bit over 13 years and have a focus in technology as well for many years in this industry. So glad to assist you today. 
Fabulous. Well, thanks for coming on. All right. So basically I want to talk about like what's at the core, including events and your marketing mix is making sure that it's one of the tools in your toolbox, I think is important. And it's funny because people ask me, you know, I have a consulting business. And when I say meetings and events and hospitality are, are sort of my, my wheelhouses, although I don't discriminate, I'll take on other clients, but just out of virtue of having worked in meetings and events for so long, but people hear that and they just think, oh, you market events. So I have to kind of like reel it back a little. No, I, I can market events, but I'm helping companies with their marketing within the meetings and events space. So clearly exhibiting is one of the things that companies either do or, or consider doing. So I thought this would be really good topic that Elizabeth came up with to talk about. So just to start off, what would you tell someone who questions, you know, whether trade shows or conferences is something they need to be doing? Dana Lynn, you want to go first? Yeah, well, absolutely. The power of face-to-face interactions is huge. And in any organization's marketing mix, in my opinion, it's silly not to include some of that. Events are the best way to get out there, to meet new people, to build brand awareness with markets and audiences that you might not have encountered before. And again, just to build new connections and to strengthen existing connections. So much business today is done digitally that it's really special to still be able to see people in person. For sure. Terrence, what do you think? No, I think Dana Lynn touched on that. When I think of companies deciding if they want to participate in an event, trade show or an event, they need to really understand what their goals and objectives are. Some of these companies, they may just be wanting to educate, you know, the audiences on certain trends and things that are happening in the marketplace that might not need to have to happen on the show floor. Maybe they sponsor sessions. And so that's important. And I've seen that happen where, you know, then you get in the whole discussion of should, are they allowed to sponsor sessions and not exhibit? So uh, I still feel they should if they're a part of the event that way. But, you know, if it's brand awareness, obviously being on the show floor is important and, you know, getting that messaging out and really trying to get the eyeballs on what they're trying to do is is a hot thing right now. Uh, We talked about that earlier. Another thing is competitive analysis. I think a lot of folks attend shows to really understand what their competition is doing. They may already be interacting with their clients. They don't need to go to a trade show to necessarily sell products, but they do need to go to a trade show to really see what their competition is doing. So those are things that I'm seeing that are kind of unique to the space. For sure. That's interesting. I will talk about this a little bit more later, but I did my master's thesis on face-to-face versus online communication within the context of trade shows. So very specific. The most interesting data that came out of that was some of the short answers that people gave, you know, that didn't quite ask a question in a way that they wanted. And, you know, so they shared one of the things, the executives and the exhibitors themselves, which is you know, typically a salesperson, right? Or maybe marketing sort of disagreed on why they were there. Because I, I, well, I divided into relationship building and commerce and everyone agrees that relationship building is important. And that's part of the the reason that you do it. But the commerce thing, it just kind of touches on what you were just saying. A lot of the executives felt like, I don't know about a lot, but some of the executives felt like we just have to be there. We have to show our face. Our competitors are there. It's a little bit of a political thing. Like you just, you know, you have to show up, but they don't necessarily expect to get sales out of it, which just blew my mind because I get the brand awareness and all that kind of stuff, but not expecting to get sales. Or maybe it's because they're, they're the people they have working for them haven't done a very good job. Anyway, we'll, we'll, so we'll we talk have, more about where I was. I was gonna say, yeah. Okay. I was going to say we could jump to that now or we could uh, kind of go into oh, it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. I think it also, you know, what you're trying to say is, you know, if you don't know your goals and objectives and everyone's got to be on the same page, because I think it impacts who you have in the booth. You know, in some respects, yeah. maybe you don't have salespeople in the booth, depending on what your goals and objectives are. So Yeah, one, depending on the show, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and kind of going back to a point that you were mentioning earlier, Terrence, is, you know, to me, there are a lot of different things that can be gotten from someone just attending a show or sponsoring a show. Exhibiting is a very specific piece and figuring out how you are going to achieve those goals and objectives. Maybe it's exhibiting, maybe it's sending your sales rep to attend and do that networking and competitive intelligence. When I was doing product marketing, I did a lot of just going to shows and checking out what the competitors were doing and talking to people. But you know, exhibiting, in my opinion, you should really have either those lead generation goals or you should approach it from a completely different out-of-the-box manner and think about providing an experience that people are going to think of as memorable. And that could be on the show floor or it could be somewhere else. For sure. Hosting a tweet-up, for example. They call that suitcasing, right? Just showing I up. I like that. And, not, and I, yeah, I, the first time I heard... You're not a suitcaser, are you? No. 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 Well, <laughs> and that's the thing is like, there's a difference between somebody who's like going boot to booth and handing out their card, right? Then somebody who just takes advantage of the fact that we all work in the same space and we're here right now. Let's have a conversation. Like I go to IMAX. I have exhibited in the, whatever, the six or seven years that it's been in Vegas. I've been tied to a booth just one time and it was awesome because the company I was there with was shortlisted for the IMAX pitch. And there was a lot of PR around that, but it was a very different experience. I didn't talk to nearly as many people the people that I would see every year. I didn't see them because they didn't come to my booth. They were in theirs and I wasn't able to walk around. So yeah, there's definitely value in just being present, you know, obviously for the networking, but also for, for what you're doing and even for your brand. Like when I worked for AV Concepts, very few people outside of like producers, you know, knew who AV Concepts was. And so basically I was their marketing person by virtue of the fact that I was at everything. And like, and I was in DC so much that people actually thought I lived in DC, which made me laugh. Not since we, we do the registration. So we, um, with all these big shows, so not exhibiting suppliers and controlling suitcases is a big deal. Right. Um, I think show management's getting more aggressive on that to the point where maybe they'll allow someone to suitcase or be a non-exhibiting manufacturer for one year or two years. Okay. And we have to track all that and make sure that when that person tries to come in for a third year, they don't follow that process anymore. They actually, you know, have to become an exhibitor or not come at all. Well, what is their definition of suitcasing in that regard? Like, is it just somebody who's attending or is it somebody who is setting up shop and say, holding meetings in a suite during the entire event without exhibiting? Like where, where's that line? That's a good question. I would say that I think if, when you're on, if you're walking the show floor and you're clearly interacting with buyers and you're handing out your business card, I would say that that's crossing the line personally. That's suitcasing in my eyes. Yeah, when you're uh, renting a suite in a hotel across the street, that's like pretty blatant. And uh, show management I've seen, and we help in this regard, is we'll block space at a hotel the hotels around the area, you know, make sure we're, we're do a space hold on them. And that if anyone tries to rent the space, they have to be a, a valid exhibiting company and it has to be approved by show management. That absolutely makes sense. I'm just, you know, kind of curious on the, the line on somebody attending, because I think it's totally normal for most people to attend and talk to the exhibitors and maybe hand out cards where they see that it's a possible fit for business, but there's, I guess it's the method and how you do it. Like if you're just going around to everybody and being like, hi, I'm Dana Lynn and I can help you and let's set up a time to talk about it. And here's my card. And, you know, just like that kind of slick sales versus having a conversation and, okay, here you go. I'd like to follow up. Here's my card. Contact me if you're interested. 
But you have a good point where like some exhibitors do business with other exhibitors. Right. So there's sort of a dual or multiple facet responsibility that some of these folks have and that it gets a little, it gets a little tricky. I I would definitely say. I had a conversation with someone recently about how, you know, she mentioned B2B, you know, and and I said, well, I think, and Jen will appreciate this, that it's, we're all humans, right? So it's, it's human to human. Like there may, somebody may be with the business, but they're the person behind the business or the person that's part of that business. And so, and we all, everything's evolving, right? I mean, not everybody like Terrence is with the company for over 13 years. I always saw value, even though when I was working in sales, I always saw value in having conversations with other suppliers and people who couldn't necessarily help me because first of all, you should just be kind and like, there's that. But also you just never know where people are going to end up and they might not be able to help you today, but they could help you next time. And that's part of the reason why I still go to, I'm like, I'll still go to IMAX, even if I don't have, like, I'm not, I'm not peddling anything. I'm just myself. And I work in the industry and I want to see people and, and, you know, see, know what's going on. And like, I went to the IMAX pitch because I wanted to see, okay, what are the hot new companies this year that are pitching? And so I also was a speaker, which was kind of fun. So I actually, I, now that I, think about it. I did have that reason to be there. (laughs) And I talked about my thesis results too. So I can share that with you guys offline later, but we may, we may touch on that again. So, well, that's a good segue, Megan, into like, how do you choose what shows to exhibit at? Right. If I'm looking at something like IMAX America, I know it's just a show where most people are going to kind of see other people like business is being done in in a certain category right? Of vendors there, but for everybody else, it's just kind of like, I go to see my friends. So how does that, so for, you know, so somebody looking at their, you know, exhibiting strategy, how it's it's difficult, especially if you're kind of, you know, in a new industry or something, it's difficult to get that Intel on these different shows and, you know, what's the vibe of the show. It's, it's beyond kind of how many people are going to be there, but it's really like, what's the quality going to be, you know, what are the demographics? Dalen, as you, as you mentioned, like, you know, is my competition there? So what are, what are, what do you guys think about all of this? What are the factors that you take into account when you're thinking about what shows to exhibit at? Well, for me, I actually just wrote a blog post on this for a client. So it's very top of mind. But back when I was responsible for choosing the events that my company would be at, and that was all B2B and it was corporate tech and it all depended on the objectives. So for that particular role, it was corporate marketing, but we were also responsible for a lot of the field events. So it was which products do we want to showcase? Who is the audience? So it's all about knowing that persona. Who should you be trying to reach? How are the best ways to reach them? And then you narrow it down to a list of, okay, these people do go to events. And what events are they most likely to go to? Which of those events fit in with our strategy with, most importantly, our ability to be there? Because I have also worked for very small companies where we've signed up for an event and then all of a sudden, magically, two weeks before, no one could go except for me. So I'm there smiling alone from the booth and not that I'm not awesome because I am, but really if you're at a technical event and you can't send technical people, it's not the best use of your marketing dollars. And you also risk maybe not leaving the best impression if someone can't get their questions answered. But so cutting this short, it's making sure that you're meeting your goals, your objectives, and that you have those clearly defined. You're trying to reach the right audience in the places that they tend to go. You have the right people to go there. It fits in your budget. And you really have to think about how are you going to deliver that experience? And that, 
as I said before, I mean, that could be exhibiting. It might not be. In some cases, you might say, this is a great event, but you know what? There's a lot of great conference sessions. There's not a big exhibit hall. It doesn't get a lot of traffic. I just want to attend. And others, all the people are in the exhibit hall. Something like for, for the industry I was in, the Amazon Web Services Conference. You absolutely would want to be at that because you know that everybody else is going to be there and they're going to be walking the halls and stopping and talking to people. Yeah, I mean, I you just nailed it. Not much for me to share after that, but uh, I think budget is critical for us. I mean, we want to stretch out our dollar. So there's some shows out there that I would love to be a part of and it's just, it's just not going to work budget-wise. And then back on the objectives, you're totally right. I think there's some years that depending on a strategic objective for a company, it may not exhibit one year. So, you know, as an exhibit salesperson or a company that's trying to, or a show organizer is trying to sell that exhibitor again for, for the following year, they have to ask that question. What's your goal and objective for this year? Well, we're really trying to do this and this and this. Wow, okay, maybe we have something different that we can help you activate at our show as opposed to exhibiting because it sounds like you're, I talked earlier about sessions or some of the educational components. Maybe that's for the sponsorship. That's the money that comes into the show management sales folks. And I think some shows do that very, very well out there. Natural Products West, I've seen that. There's diff- so many different choices for uh, activation a potential sponsor or exhibitor can take advantage of. So you got to ask that question first. Again, what's your goals and objectives? And then try to you know offer something to that exhibitor or sponsor accordingly. I'm just laughing because I sent out a tweet, I don't know, about an hour or so ago saying, I absolutely hate the word activation. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> buzzword. Yes. Buzzword bingo. <laughs> right, who's got another one for that one? Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, that's hard to hard to just come up with. I was just gonna say uh so the, the Infocom show, it's trade show for the A V industry. The company has changed their name to Avixa, but the show is still gonna be called Infocom. But it's where the manufacturers of all the A V equipment exhibit and all that kind of stuff. There's been some chatter recently of there being more value in smaller shows. So the spend isn't as high or maybe it's higher, but you get more time with people. It's more targeted. What would you guys say to that? Are you seeing anything of that out there, Terrence? You really need to understand who the audience and who they're bringing in to these smaller events. Maybe it's a CTO conference or CIO conference. You're a technology company. Wow, that makes sense. You know, that would be a smaller event. And I would want to spend money in, in that regard. But if it's the same audience mix as a larger show and there isn't some qualification, good buyer qualification process, then you know, I don't know if that's worth it. I guess I'm a big show guy. I just think that you could do so much more there for, for your dollar at a larger show. Because I don't know if the cost really goes that much lower for a smaller event. And I think they tried to make it say, oh, it's more intimate. That's why we're going to charge you more. Now, a hosted buyer event, that's a whole nother ball of wax. And I don't know if we're gonna, we have time to get into that. But I think hosted buyer events are definitely worth the money because those show organizers or those hosts are you know paying the, the way for these individuals and you're going to get actual appointments with really senior level buyers, so. Right, okay, yeah, let's circle back on host buyer. There's definitely, de- I'm looking at the time, we're definitely gonna have time okay. for that. Dana Lynn, what's your thoughts on this? I am all in favor of small events as long as they are the right ones. It's again about knowing who are they going to be bringing in? Who is the audience? There are a lot of great niche shows. And another scenario that I have run into personally is where at a large show, we've sent salespeople, but they've been territory account managers. And if the person that they're talking to isn't in their territory, they don't care because they're not going to get the commission for it. Any really good salesperson, of course, is going to care, but 
In those cases, it can be better to exhibit at a smaller regional event, user group conferences, which usually are a lot cheaper. And that way that salesperson gets to interact with the people from their territory and they try harder and they get better leads. I like that. Yeah. So it's all about, can you follow up with the people that you're, that you're contacting? Because if you can't, then why are you there? Right. Well, it, what is the stat? It varies a little bit, but it's something like 78% of leads gathered at trade shows are not followed up on, which just blows like why? my mind. <laughs> yeah. Total waste of money. And I've heard a couple of things. I've heard, well, we're focusing on what they're just really just wanting to target the next, the person who's going to give them the most bang for their buck. Right. So they're, and they're like, oh, we got X number of dollars from this customer. We're good. Like, really? Because those people some of them actually genuinely wanted to talk to you and they are genuinely interested in your product. They weren't just saying it because I heard, I forget what show I was at, but somebody was complaining about how they hadn't heard back from anybody from the previous year and were they going to hear this year? And I was like, oh my gosh, like that. It just is crazy. So yeah, some of the stat on my survey for my master's, basically it was like 90% of companies say that they prepare in advance of the show. So they see who's coming and they have their hit list and like kind of like they feel like organized before they show up. The percentages go way down when you talk about, are you diligent about following up with those leads? And, and, and I know, and the value of that, it's like... Those buyers that might be at a small company that might not be a really good lead for you, why do you think they're at these events? They're also networking with larger companies that are good leads for you, and they may be working for that company in a year or two. So, boy, you ignore them, you're going to be ignoring a sale maybe in the future. For sure. I hate to say this. It's probably a topic for another show. There's a lot of bad salespeople out there. Yes, there are. And as somebody who's, you know, been trying to buy products and services in the past few years, it's just blown me away. And it kind of, it kind of brought me back full circle to, oh, maybe that's why I wasn't always treated so great when I worked in sales, because these people, these event organizers and planners are just getting hammered all the time by bad salespeople. So my method of sales was like just meeting people face to face and getting to know them and they know what I do. And if they need me and, you know, not to say that I wouldn't ask for a chance at the business, but I didn't have to be like that. And I, and whenever someone made me feel like a salesperson, it kind of made me shudder. So yeah, there's, there's that again, topic for another show. But in relation to sponsorship, I kind of wanted to ask Jen. So Jen works for Social Media Examiner who um, puts on Social Media Marketing World, which is the largest conference for social media marketers. They haven't placed as big an emphasis, I don't think, on an exhibit floor, a trade show floor. They call them, actually, they call them all sponsors, not exhibitors, but I know that they've expanded that. So I kind of wanted to just see Jen, I know that's not your, that's not your wheelhouse within SME, but can you talk a little bit to expanding that and kind of what you guys are doing with your sponsors, hashtag exhibitors, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we, we are opening up that space and creating a much larger, we call it the, the networking plaza at social media marketing world um, where people can come and network with each other. But then we all have, we have the vendors like vendors, exhibitors, sponsors all around, you know, this place. And it's supposed to be absolutely ginormous this year. Lots of um, exhibitors. And what we really are trying to do differently this year is make sure that the sponsors, exhibitors, vendors feel like they're just, they're really going to get the bang for their buck out of the event by us developing kind of a communication plan between the vendors and the marketing team, the social team to develop messaging 
that is making sure that we are bringing traffic to their booth and providing maybe some kind of incentive for, for visiting so many places and getting feedback from what you thought of those places and just really shining some extra spotlight on, on them and working maybe more as a connector, as an event as a whole, but as a connector for people that are looking for a certain thing. Oh, wait, you should go check out this vendor because they have maybe just the perfect answer for you. And so that is a bigger, bit of a bigger focus for us this year, I feel like. And it's going to be really exciting to see how it works. Nice. Terrence, what do you think about that? About the, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a, a flip, right? Like, it's not like, they're just not expecting these exhibitors to show up and then have people to, you know, just come by their booth, but they're trying to encourage that. No more build it and they will come. I think right. it's, um, that, that's kind of gone, gone away. I'm seeing a lot of different things on trying to get people you know, employing people outside of the booth, out in the in the pre-function areas to try to bring people and even almost escort people to the booth. I'm seeing a lot of that. I can't remember the name of the company. Sorry, company. <laughs> they do this at um, at the Georgia World Congress Center. They have these robots. Have you seen these on wheels? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, what they, they're normally for is just kind of helping you and they're controlled by someone at a desktop like we're doing today, maybe. And what these... Robots can be done is they can be hired by an exhibiting company. And so the robot walk, walks around and, and kind of wheels around. And let's just say if you're trying to drive this robot around and you might see a badge color or a certain badge that I know that's a buyer. You come up and you introduce yourself. It has a screen so you could you could see the person can see your face and you can start to say, hey, would you want to learn more about our company or do you do this or that? Come to this booth. I'll walk you there. So the robot will actually walk you to the booth. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, what do other exhibitors say about that? You know, well, when they're paying extra money for this service, you know, that's what they get. So isn't that somebody like operating outside the confines of their yeah. booth space? That's uh, that's really, I thought it was divergent to say the least, but show management and is making money on it. Well, it's, I mean, it's a, it's taking the runner on the, the walkway to a whole new level, right? companies pay extra to have their name put on the carpet or whatever in different places on the floor. So that's like the robot version of that. I I think it's pretty awesome. But yeah, if I was a competitor of that company, I'd be like, (laughs) like the trends have changed. It's it's a cyclical thing about going from uh, the pay to play, the more money you have, the more you can get to the no, 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 we're going to do an equal playing field where everyone has the same space and their turnkey booths and everybody gets the same. And now it seems to be swinging back a little bit more towards that pay to play because now there are some cool extras that we can set up. I, mean, I think there's subtle ways to do it. I read an article about Cashy, who is uh, with Natural Products West. They sponsor the yoga on one of the mornings. I think it's very subtle, indirect kind of a sponsorship. They sponsor this really nice yoga thing. I'm not into yoga, but I guess it would be nice for some people. And then, you know, obviously when you're on the show floor, you match up logos and you're like, oh, those are the same people that sponsored the yoga this morning. So I think there's subtle ways to do it. uh, Like Jen was saying earlier that are effective and I get the emotional piece for people to kind of buy into their brand. I think that what's interesting about Obviously, I'm also an attendee of Social Media Marketing World. So if I see a tweet or some sort of communication that's coming through social about a certain vendor, I I get that they probably paid for it, right? Of course, I work in events, so I kind of, I think more about that. But there's still value in it because there's still like, I haven't made my way to that networking plaza or to that particular company's booth. If there's a certain thing, it might spark like, oh, it might make me go. So I see why there would be value. And obviously, it's super targeted for all these 
social media vendors that have, you know, have tools that we all need to use and everything's evolving so quickly that there's always something new and hot and cool that uh, people are going to want to talk to them about. But I think as an exhibitor vendor sponsor um, that I would really think that that was a pretty awesome approach. I'm sort of disappointed that exhibitors aren't taking advantage of the tools that show management has. We provide tools to show management. Sometimes show management uses other companies like Feather and some of these other products out there that are really effective. And I don't know if it's just the communication that's breaking down that people aren't knowing what's going on. Maybe during the sales process, this isn't conveyed and and communicated well enough, but there's some really great tools for exhibitors and they need to just check with their show management or their sales rep on what they can use to help drive traffic to their booth. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I having it be part of their course, SME does such an incredible job in general. I mean, social media is their thing, right? So if they weren't doing a good job at it, we'd all be pretty disappointed. <laughs> but yeah, that the way that they, all their pre-engagement and the way that they do everything with, with everyone across the board, their speakers, their, especially their attendees and their sponsors is, is pretty awesome. Dana Lynn, what do you think about that reverse sort of like show management participating and driving track, trying to drive traffic to vendors? I think it's great because coming from the perspective of someone who has exhibited, run shows, attended shows, like everything to do with them as an exhibitor, one of my biggest complaints has always been being undervalued. Like you pay a lot of money for that presence And then a lot of shows still treat you like a third-class citizen where it's, oh yeah, your badge doesn't include lunch or your badge doesn't include access to the special event. And yeah, you know, we know you have this booth that you're paying a lot for, but we don't want to make it any easier to give you additional networking opportunities. So I love when show management is actively trying to help foster those relationships and really show their exhibitors and sponsors that they care and that they want you to keep on coming back. It's more of a partnership. And we're not, we're not going to get into a drainage and all that. (laughs) 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 The organizers not making it easy to exhibit. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's just yet another topic for another day. Like we we can have you guys back on like as regular guests (laughs) with all these other topics that we could go into. So Terrence, you had started and we've kind of touched on this, I think briefly throughout this idea of sponsorship. So sponsorship, you know, can be related to exhibiting. So to start with, if I decide I want to invest more money, right? Do I still need the booth? Do I still need, you know, to exhibit like kind of as that place to drive people to, or, you know, if I'm sponsoring the, what was it? The yoga in the morning or something, you know, if, can I create (laughs) Dana Lynn's favorite word, an activation right outside of the, you know, show floor. And, and is that good enough? Or do I still need that booth to kind of have those like a home base or something? Yeah, I, it's a good question because I've seen at different shows where I was just at the SEMA show last fall and like Ford has a big tent outside in the, um, in the parking lot. And there's a lot of people there, but what Ford doesn't know is, okay, of all the people that were there, how many people actually went into the show, under the show floor and looked at some of the cars? Because they didn't have the, a lot of their cars outside. They had different types of things, but they had a whole area with Ford trucks inside. You know, they don't know if those people were able to get onto, onto the show floor as well as participate outside. I mean, the fear there is like if I quote unquote, activate something outside in a tent, how do I make sure I communicate to these folks that we also have some other areas on the show floor? I think that's part of wayfinding. Uh, There's technologies to help that along. And you should try to market your booth at other 
areas where you're sponsoring, whether it's just come see us at booth X or Y. But back to what maybe what you're also asking, is it okay that I sponsor something without getting a booth? And I think that show management is starting to be a little bit lenient on that, especially for a popular show. If it's not about real estate, you know, all the time and making sure they fill the entire show floor. But if they have someone that's involved in spending money, that's a good thing. And maybe they'll exhibit in a year or two based on their goals and objectives that we talked about earlier. What do you think, David? Would you, being the decision maker on that end, would you ever decide to sponsor something outside of the show floor and then not have a booth on on the show floor? And tell (laughs) tell us why. Tell us more. I have done that. And any time that I was responsible for an event, I always offered sponsorships that were not tied to exhibiting. And part of it is, you know, it depends on the type of event. But a lot of companies don't necessarily have the money to be able to invest in an exhibit where they might have money to do something like say it's sponsoring a coffee break, even where they get their logo out there. Maybe they get their logo on the coffee cups even, and they get some brand awareness, but it's cheaper than them, cheaper for them than sending a booth or even just doing a pop-up and sending the staff. So it's that they might not be able to make that commitment. But to me, if someone wants to participate in your show and show you support and get something out of it themselves, if it doesn't hurt you, and most importantly, doesn't hurt the other sponsors and exhibitors, I don't see any reason why not to do that. So I am, sorry, just real quick. When I did the IMAX pitch, I was the only person pitching who had a booth. And that actually worked to our advantage because I, everyone was like, oh, and they came to learn more. Whereas Mm -hmm. those folks who were there and not sponsors, but, you know, kind of in a way being able to participate in the event, but not having a booth didn't have that real estate to, for they could pay a visit. So just as an aside. I yeah, like so that kind of mapping out a journey, you know, if yep. you, if you have a sponsorship, whether it's a session or something outside the show floor, and it's coordinated to be some type of a journey for someone that they can complete within your booth, I think that's great. Hats off to marketers that can do that. Yeah. And it's always nice to have those multiple touch points. And like you were saying earlier, Terrence, you know, even if you have a speaking session, your last slide and your speaker should say something like, come visit us at booth number 104 on the show floor and you can see a demo of the product or talk to me at more length or something like that. It's nice to have if you have the wherewithal to be able to do it. What about going rogue? So what about creating an activation? We should we should turn this into a drinking game. If I had known this was going to be, you know, the word <laughs> activation. you say activation. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> so what about creating an activation like outside of the scope of, you know, what the event, I mean, you know, Terrence says, you know, shows that he's involved with, they're going to make sure that the organizer has all of the good space locked down so that you can't do that. But there are certainly ways of like setting up a coffee break outside, you know, on the sidewalk or something, right? There's like ways to do it still where you're getting eyeballs and you're getting people, you're getting that exposure without participating in it in a formal way. What do you guys think? Is, is that ever a good idea? I have mixed feelings on this because I've worked for companies that have done it and have done it very successfully. But there's still that part of me that's like, but that's just not right. Because coming from the other side and knowing what it's like to organize an event, it's like people poaching your room blocks. It's not cool. So I have a little bit of a, I guess, a moral or ethical objective to doing it. But that being said, if you're going to do something like that, in my opinion, just make it be something where you're really not stepping on somebody's toes. If you're going to do like take people out on a cruise at the event, well, okay, sure. They're not doing anything else. Fine. It's just another option, but like, don't set up your pull up banner 
immediately in a hallway outside because the group didn't have that particular space booked. Like that's, that's pushing it. Yeah, and if maybe you sponsor the pedicabs outside of the Javits, right? Um, you're not exhibiting, but you're providing free pedicabs to everyone after the show. And it's not like you're interacting and you're doing a big PowerPoint presentation or anything like that. So I think you have to be cognizant of the risks that are involved when you do that. If people, if buyers don't like the fact that you're not exhibiting and you're kind of poaching uh, from other buyers, you just got to be ready for that and be able to uh, respond. It's, it's such an happen. interesting way to, of marketing to me. Of course, they had a booth at this show also, but at AWS this year, Oracle had Tesla SUVs that were offering shuttles between hotels. So you would be walking out of Aria and you would be asked by someone, hey, do you need a ride? So rather than catching a Lyft or an Uber, you could hop in this in this Tesla, which actually was, I, I ended up not taking it because I missed the one and that it was taking too long. But I thought, oh, and then you get to like chat with the people who are in there, you know, who you don't know and stuff. And so it's like another networking opportunity too. But I thought that was really smart. Again, I love that you're looking at as another networking opportunity because you're so good with that. To me, that's my idea of hell, getting into a car with people I don't know and being forced to talk to them. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, one of my old bosses referred to me the other day as a networking machine, which I think is just funny. I mean, I just like talking to people and meeting new people. And like you say, you know, you never know where your next opportunity is going to come from. So mm -hmm. That's true. So we touched on, you know, hosted buyers. I think this might be kind of a good place to squeeze that in, you know, as a topic. So there's... A, there are now, I think shows are getting, well, again, maybe this is a, you know, a topic for another day on, from hey, the organizer's standpoint. Do you want to explain real quick what it is for anybody who might be listening who doesn't know yeah, that, what it is? Yeah, I was about to go on a little, a little bird walk about the, tr the traditional trade show model and why organizers are coming up with these alternative formats, right, for ways of connecting buyers and sellers. So hosted buyer events, or you could just call them kind of appointment-based events, right? I think we, we, we interchange those a lot, I think. So the idea being that the the buyers that are at that event are maybe are somehow qualified. So, you know, Terrence was using an example earlier. You know, if you have an event that's just CTOs or just CIOs, the point being that those are the decision makers, right? So somebody that wants to participate as an exhibitor or from the seller's standpoint, that's it's worth it to go to a smaller show like that because they're decision makers and not just, you know, everybody else kind of in the mix. So usually the these, these events do include some kind of appointment-based system. And I think the technology for those seems to be rapidly improving as well. I think when we started out, it was a little, you know, could it be hit or miss, you know, kind of dependent on that system. But uh, whether or not the, the buyers are accepting and, and initiating appointments or the sellers or there's, you know, kind of come together there somehow. So that's kind of the, the gist of what a host buyer event or an appointment-based event would be. So do you guys see, I mean, is there exponentially more value in doing that, having that kind of interaction? So you're just meeting with them at a table, right? And then it's kind of speed dating style over the trade show where you're just getting, you know, hopefully traffic, people kind of walking by and you have to reel them in. So is it worth paying, you know, whatever it is, 10 times more for that environment, for that appointment kind of setup versus the trade show traffic kind of exposure? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of hosted buyers, particularly serving certain markets. If you're a, one of the sponsors, right? And if you know who your buyers are, because I think, I think a lot of these big companies, they know who their buyers are. They know who they need to sell to. And, and they would love to just filter through all the craziness on, on a larger trade show 
environment to just get to those key buyers. If you can serve those key buyers in an appointment scheduling format for these folks, they're paying big bucks for that, like fifty to $60,000 a company. And the key thing is, as a show organizer or an association or whomever you might be, you better have those relationships with those buyers and you better deliver them. Because if you can't, then that hosted buyer program is going to fall apart very quickly. You can't have the second person in line to show up at this hosted buyer event that's at a, at a Four Seasons resort or somewhere that's uh, all expenses are paid. No, you've got to bring the decision maker. And if you can deliver that person, you're going to cash in as a host. And so I, I think they're great. They're very effective. I think there's value in hosted buyer events, just like there's value in exhibits, but I think they shouldn't be considered as the same things. So when you're determining what type of events you want to have in your marketing mix, don't lump those really in the same budget. A lot of the value comes into, like, you know, as Terrence was saying, the people who are there, whether they're CIOs, CEOs, CTOs, a lot of those people aren't walking a trade show floor. So if that is the market that you want to connect to, it is a really good venue to be able to forge those relationships, meet with those people. But you also have to go into it knowing that although it gives you the opportunity to build those relationships, not all of those people who are attending are going to be interested in your solution. So they might have the buying power, but it might not be the right fit, or they might not be looking for something like your solution at this time. So it's valuable, but you just need to go into that with that same caveat of, okay, well, I am meeting the right people, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to walk away with a million dollars worth of leads in my pocket. Well, I mean, and some of the really smart organizers, once they get the people there and they get some key, you know, bellwether sponsors of it. They just go, they just make a phone call to their competitors and say, you know, all right, we're, we're going to be at the Four Seasons Lanai with uh, the CEO and the CTO of all these companies. Some of them are your clients. And here's the list of the, the, um, the sponsors. Uh, when do you, when do you want to sign up? And they sign up very quickly. So what I'm trying to get at is that these are not only for people that you want to sell to, it's also your clients that you want to be in these intimate settings at a hosted buyer event. So very effective, but I think you're, you're totally correct. I think there's a way to do a strategy that includes hosted buyer and trade shows as well. You know, again, it's all about your goals and objectives here. You want an intimate setting, at a hosted buyer event, but maybe at a trade show, you it's more of about brand awareness, educating members and, and other folks. So definitely got to be an overreaching strategy. But yeah, maybe ROI, goes- ROI on hosted buyer, I just want to finish, is pretty high. Yeah. It kind of goes back to Megan, what Megan found in her research, marketing and sales, having different objectives, you know, it's uh, at a trade show. It's, it's about the exposure, right? Get people to, to walk by and, and uh, hopefully stop. But the salespeople, they just want to talk to their client. And Dana Lynn had this example with the regional folks, right? They just want to talk to their client, right? The person they're going to get their commission off of. So yeah, they've got some some different goals. Yeah, so so Jen had some questions about kind of how to engage uh, from an exhibitor standpoint, how to engage on social media. Yeah, so basically what I would like to know is, do you see there being a big benefit to, to being an exhibitor? Exhibitor to have a set communication plan with the management, with the event management team, you know, prior to the event ever occurring, do you see that could be a, a huge benefit to you or do you, how do you, how much would a vendor value that? I guess is my question. I definitely find it valuable. When I was exhibiting events, I always would have a communication strategy and I would do my own social media for my events as well. I didn't have a team of people to do it for me, but it's, 
not just before the event, it's during the event, it's after the event. Right. It's, it goes back to the whole community concept of building that community and keep, keeping people engaged and not just letting it stop at that. And hey, you stopped by our booth at this, guess what, we're gonna be here, or have you considered this, or here's a link to some great resource. All of those I think are valuable. Yeah, and again, show management has access to these buyers, right? And if they can promote your product and service to them, not only your own customers, but to to all the buyers that are coming in, and they could segment these buyers too. Hey, I'm all, I'm looking for these type of buyers. Can can I get a communication plan to those type of buyers that are coming to the show? Right, and I, and I like what you said about the follow up. It really does begin at the beginning, developing the relationship, and then nurturing that, making the connection during, and then that follow up is so important because you know these you know the exhibitors and other attendees and whoever else shows up to to take part in the event, they see so many things that, you know, follow-up is very, very, very important in that because that is where you're taking the extra time to reach out and touch that person and, and hopefully reconnect and bring them back into what you have to offer them. And I think that that special human element is a big part of what sales when it comes to, you know, when it comes to any kind of competitor, you know, rivalry or whatever, you're being the one that takes the time to develop the real human connection. And we talked about the human element back at the beginning of this episode. I think that that is so important. I always talk about, yeah, social media is so important because that's my job. But what it always boils down to and where I see things beginning is that human connection at events such as this. And and Megan, you are, you definitely are the networking queen, but so many opportunities stem from that and just being present and being open to that kind of opportunity. It's, it's amazing what can happen from that. Yeah. Well, and putting, keeping the social in social media. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Not just shouting at people, but like (laughs) engaging with them and, and the follow-up. I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity after a show that a lot of businesses are missing out on. And it goes Mm -hmm. back to the follow-up on individuals, but it also goes back to just having that be part of your comp plan for your show overall to continue engaging with sponsors. And I think show organizers are starting to get it that they need social media to be actually part of their plan, but I don't think it's come as far as it should. Like you definitely need to have a team or a person, whatever, but somebody who's designated, not somebody who's a planner on your team who has all these other duties who like gets tasked with, oh yeah, and by the way, you're also supposed to be engaging with people in social media. They're like, I don't have time for that, especially on site. You can schedule tweets, but if you're not engaging with people, if you don't have somebody's designated to to be on top of that, you're missing a huge opportunity. And plus that's where customer service is happening now. So you're missing out on that for sure. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Awesome. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end. I can't believe that went so fast. So I do have a couple of questions that I like to ask our guests. Sometimes if we have time, we have the, the crew chime in too. But I think today we just have our guests answer. So, you know, everyone says, if you could have a superpower, what, it would, what would it be? But I like to ask that if you could have a superpower in your job, like specific to your job, if there's anything that you could get anything you want in your job um, as a superpower, what, what would that be? Terrence, you want to go first? Lately, just this past week, I wish I could stop time. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and get caught up. I mean, that would be the best one, I'm sure. That's awesome. That's And that's different than getting four more hours in your day. I like that. Dindalyn, what about you? Yeah, well, on the personal side of my job, I could definitely use that superpower as well. (laughs) But if I had to pick one thing, I would like all of my clients 
and not just the clients, but all of the end users, the people who are reading what I write, the people who are touching what I've marketed to, I want it to all have the desired result. I want everybody to be happy with everything that they're reading and have it actually serve that, whatever that call to action is to make it really work. Right. I like that. That's a good one. And then do you have any new tools or apps or gadgets that you're kind of excited about that you might want to recommend to our listeners? This is always a good one. I always get something out of this. So I'm always like, let me have my pen ready. Terrence, what do you, anything you've been using lately that you want to share? Just talking about show management has tools to use for you to use. Email marketing, I think is, you know, everyone, I think the web retargeting is really hot. So um, depending on what a um, a buyer uh, engages with you at, you know, whether it's looking at sessions or looking at certain aspects of the websites or registering for your event. If you know web retargeting, you can drop a cookie on their browser. So when they go to other sites, you can advertise based on what they were visiting, you can help sponsor advertise that specific product. And I think it's it's being done really effectively now. Yeah. And it's I think people are expecting big I get chased down by a golf club from a golfsmith all the time. You know, we all, we've all seen it work. Yeah. Uh, that's a hot product. And also the future, this is where it's going. Keep an eye on augmented reality, AR. I think augmented reality is going to really revolutionize what we're doing on the show floor. So look for that. And there's some okay. things coming down the path. That's cool. It's so funny that you just mentioned that retargeting because I shared an image. I took a screenshot for Jen of a social media marketing world is retargeting me. I got five ads on one page. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> What the heck? I'm but not it could be done exactly. right. You know, and I, I worry about that. We we try to, you know, coach, you know, our clients and, and folks on how to do that properly. You, you yeah. can get overwhelmed. No, totally. And I, I don't know how it works like on the tech side. So, uh, you know, it's not their fault necessarily, I, yeah. but it just was funny. I was like, whoa, and I, I'm already going. Um, Dana Lynn, what about you? Any <laughs> apps or gadgets? Or yeah. Well, I mean, this Lately, I haven't been using any new apps or gadgets myself. I mean, I have the kind of standbys that I use, like Evernote for clipping things and coordinating everything into one location, and then Scrivener for writing stuff. But I've been writing about a fair number of really interesting technology tools. So while I cannot personally vouch for them, I've been interested in some of the event and conference intelligence platforms that have come out or are available on the market. I'm not going to name any names, but I will do a little brief plug for Corporate Event News saying if you want to know more about that, www.corporateeventnews.com. You can read a whole bunch of articles on there. But I just love the pace that technology is happening at the the number of innovations that are coming out there. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how AI influences things, how the chatbots end up influencing things, and where we're going to be in another few years. Awesome. Yeah, we're doing actually, uh, Elizabeth and I are co-hosting a show on another podcast called The AV Life. I, I do live events shows on there and we're going to do it on, on chatbots later this month. So keep an eye out. Okay. for that as well. So awesome. I really appreciate everyone being on today, my co-hosts and our guests. So uh, Terrence and Dana Lynn, you want to share with our listeners how they can find you. Oh, and um, Terrence, talk a little bit about the Expo Chat real quick. Well, think, again, I can be reached at, at T-R Donnelly. That's at T-R-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. I also involved with hosting Expo Chat every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's Expo Chat. That's the hashtag. Look for us weekly. We talk about these things and other things that are impacting the exhibition industry. Yeah, it's a great little 
tweet chat. Danielyn, you mentioned the the website, but what about you um, personally? How can we find you? Yeah. On Twitter, I am at dwheeler11. And on Corporate Event News, there is also on just about every page you go to, my email is on there. So you can reach me that way. Excellent. All right. Thank you also, Elizabeth and Jen. This has been a great talk. This has been episode nine of Making a Marketer. And we will catch you next time. Bye.